Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome, everybody. This is the Tennis.com podcast. I am your host, Kamal Murray, and today we have the pleasure of being with uh, Danny Valverdu. Most of you all know him from his days uh, being on the coaching teams of Roger and Stan Wawrinka and Pliskova, but now he's taking on a new venture, being a tournament director and getting his feet with that, you know, like, like, like I am in Chicago, buying towels, buying water, uh, setting up the site, you know, all hands on deck kind of mentality. So today he and I are going to chop it up and just talk about, you know, obviously experience on tour and then, you know, sort of the state of tennis and the tournaments and how these, these events came about. So Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kamal. It's a pleasure being here. And yeah, we're sharing some uh, some experiences at the moment, a little bit different from our our professional uh, on-tour life uh, that, uh, that we've been dealing for for the last few years. But yeah, it's, it's exciting. I'm having a great time. We've only had actually five, five and a half weeks to deliver the event. So it's been a lot of work. But uh, San Diego, I think the weather here uh, makes it all worth it. So we're looking forward to the event. Well, you couldn't be in a better location because you're right near Indian Wells. So you, I mean, literally people can drive from from one tournament to the next. You know, mine, they got to take a lot, nice little flight, you know, yeah. and oh, Palm we, Springs Airport is real small. Yeah, the the time, you know, and, and the week in the schedule obviously helps. I mean, we we got a great field, but that has to do with uh, being right before Indian Wells uh, and being two hours away. So it makes sense for the player flow. And yeah, we got very lucky with with being allowed to to be on this week. And uh, and also for the players, I think it, it works for them as well. So now we're we're privileged to to be right before the big the big event coming coming in uh, ten days time. Well, you know what's funny is I think you know part of part of your advantage, my advantage of having been on the tour and understanding how to make a schedule for a player, sort of helps us in terms of planning out which weeks to do an event, right? Uh, where to do it. Uh, how to make it comfortable for the players, you know, because originally our event in Chicago was a 125. And, you know, before it got upgraded to a 500, I was confident that in this year with a COVID year and people being short on minimum play requirements and all the things that come, you know, being a coach, I was sure we we're going to get a great feel at a good price. You know, yeah. how, so how, how did you choose? How did you, what was your logic in picking, you know, a San Diego for a location in that week? No, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, when the opportunity came up, when the Asian tournaments got canceled uh, and the ATP was looking for events, I, I knew there was a group here in San Diego that were uh, that had been interested for a long time to, to get a hold of an event. They had never had an ATP event here in San Diego, so I thought it would be the perfect match. So I contacted them. Uh, we put up a proposal, sent it to the ATP, and, and they approved it. But again, you, you said it already. Uh, from my side, I, I thought, look, uh, week 39, right before Indian Wells, um, not much going on in Europe, uh, perfect weather, uh, two hours away by car. Uh, I think we're going to get a great field. So that's what I told my group here in San Diego. I said, look, it's a, it's a no-brainer. 
especially being allowed fans here in San Diego uh, makes a difference financially for the event uh, to, to be healthy. Uh, so we're allowed 100% capacity, which makes a major difference, especially in a city that has never had an event. So it's new and, and, and I knew that it was going to be successful. So um, yeah, from, from my side, knowing that we were going to have a great player field, I told the guys, look, if there's a time to do it, it's right now. Um, so, so it's working out well. And you know, it's funny. So like, you knew you were going to have a good player field. I knew I was going to have a good player field. But sometimes the sponsors don't understand that, you know, because the deadline isn't until six weeks before. And even this one, our deadline was like three weeks before. Exactly. Right. And so sponsors are like, well, who's coming? And I'm like, well, everybody's going to come. And they're like, yeah, but how do you know? And I'm like, I just I know. know. You know what I mean? I just know. I just so know. did you did you did you get some of that? And people are like, well, I want to know who's coming. I'm like, well. Deadline's not till this time, but trust me, they're coming. It was a lot of like, was it a lot of trust in sort of your team, your sponsors, and in you and the fact that you knew? Because it wasn't yeah. a lot, it wasn't, it's hard to just say this person, this person, this person. Even, even my group, I mean, when we had our first couple of meetings, I, that was the biggest selling point. I said, look, you're going to have a great field. And I said, so who's coming? I'm like, I can't tell you who's coming. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure that we're going to have a great field. So with sponsors, what we tried to do, before the list came out, uh, we guaranteed some walkers already with a couple of big names. We had uh, we had Kay and Andy uh, commit to the walker. So that's obviously that's that was the first step for us to go to the sponsors to um, and tell them, look, we have already a three-time three-time Slam champion, ex number one. Uh, we have Kay Nishikori, big in the in the Japanese community. Obviously in California, that's that's a good match. So we, we had a good start with those two walkers, and then obviously when the list came out uh, and we were the second strongest 250 of the year uh, following Doha, uh, then that also helped to, to close some deals. Well, that's interesting because when I look at, let's say, obviously Andy Murray needs a wild card. Like we gave a wild card to Kim Kleisters, right? So based on their ranking, they need a wild card. But somebody like Katie Shakuri would have got in on his own. And yeah. you sort of, I mean, you know, somebody could say, well, you wasted a wild card on somebody that would have got in anyway. No, but right? he's actually out. He, he, he's still, I mean, he, he wouldn't. The, the, really? cutoff, the cutoff was 42, and his uh, current ranking is, I think, 50-something. Obviously, he was injured for, for a couple of years or a year and a half, so he's starting to build back up. So he needed the walker. Otherwise, he would be playing qualis. That's crazy that a cutoff of 42 for a 250. Yeah, we have eight top 20 players, uh, I think 13 or 14 uh, top 30 players, and then, yeah, the final cutoff was, was 42. I think now it moved to maybe 44 or 45. Uh, because uh, David Goffin pulled out. He's, he's yeah. out for the year. Uh, and I forgot, actually, we had a, a guaranteed wildcard with uh, Dominic Tim at the beginning before he pulled out for uh, for the whole year. Uh, so uh -huh. that was also a good selling point with, with the sponsors. But then, unfortunately, he uh, he got injured again and, and, and he's out for the year. So we, ha we had to cancel that one. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because, you know, in Chicago, it hasn't been any pro tennis here for a long time. And it's like, third or fourth largest city in the world or in America, big tennis community. We've got like three USTA presidents, three of the past four or five USTA presidents have been from Chicago and we don't have a pro event. San Diego, Barnes Tennis Center, the home of the girls, 16s and 18 super nationals, yeah. right? How is it that a city with that weather, with that facility and that sort of reputation or like just that, that you know, that, that, um, Super Nationals, girls 18s, where you win the wild card and go to the U.S. Open. How is it that that city did not have an event already? Yeah, that's a good question. The only 
the biggest tennis event they've had here are Davis Cups. So they had uh, the one against the UK um, maybe eight years ago that they played at the Padres Stadium. Uh, and then I think back in the day at La Jolla Beach Club, they, they had some, they, I think they had a Davis Cup tie there as well. Um, so the group that helped organize um, the Davis Cup at the Padres Stadium with the USTA, uh, they were the ones that were interested to bring an event, but they just couldn't get a hold of one. It's not easy to get a hold of a license there. It's not from the ATP side, um, the ATP doesn't uh, create new licenses. So you have to go to a current uh, license owner uh, to an event that is already running and, and make them an offer and, and buy their week and their license. So it's not easy. Uh, there's a certain amount of licenses out there for the 250s, 500s and thousands. I think the 250 ones are more accessible than the 500s and the thousands, but still, maybe one or two sell a year and there's a lot of people uh, that are interested in them so there's not that much supply and a lot of demand so it's, it's not easy uh, so when I went to the group here they said look we've been trying for a while but we were not successful with trying to get one so uh, this is a this is like a step step in the door you know I said look uh, take this one-year license let's deliver a nice event make the players happy make it fun for the fans and and hopefully after this year, we can we can go to a current license owner and 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 hopefully we can buy one uh, to keep it here permanently. Yeah, man, I think that that is one of the things that in this journey is just so shocking that a sport like tennis that is like real small. When you think about tennis in America, right? Tennis in the global, you got soccer, you got tennis. You know, we're big, I think, globally, but in America, we're like six or seven behind you: basketball, football, baseball. You know what I mean? Still yeah. um, hockey, probably. Yeah, I know, right? Hockey. It's, it's, it's baffling to me on how hard it is to create an event, right? If, you know, we want to grow as a sport, America's a big market. You know what I mean? Like, of the four slams, U.S. Open is a Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, just from a, you know, what is a, what is a, what is a U.S. Open title translating into marketing dollars? It's more than Australia, right? It's more than the French Open. Yeah. And so how is it that we can't A, create new sanctions in order to grow the sport in America, or B, some of the dormant sanctions, you yeah. know, sort of create, create like a negotiating platform. We can just activate them so that the entire sport can grow. I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the US, in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, you had more events in the US, I think. Um, I still, you, you still have some more now, but not at, not at flagship locations like you said san diego chicago uh it's just a shame that, that there are not more of those cities having the big events it's also a shame that the event in la uh went away for the guys the atp 250 that they had in los angeles hopefully uh san diego can be the california 250 now uh so that would be the goal uh and i agree i mean it's a shame that there's not more uh i think there's a lot of interest it's just not easy to get a hold of it and hopefully between you and i can and bring tennis back to the U.S. <laughs> Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. So let me ask you this, you know, you and I, we're used to walking into the venue, everything's set up, towels are plentiful. So coffee, you drink a half bottle of water, you throw it away and you get another bottle of water and you do a half drink. 
I'm gonna make sure I finish. Now, now, now I'll make sure I finish this bottle. Back in the day, I would have two sips and throw it away. Right. Yeah. Now, now I finish it. I mean, you know, like our last event, every night we would clean up, and I'd see like, you know, a third when a water bottles drink a third, and I see people grab a new one. I'm like, no, no, man, I got to pay for that water. Drink the rest of that water. So, you know, how is it for you now? Look all behind the scenes, watching every penny, you know, because the, the trick is you want to got a first year event, but you can't lose your shirt on, you know, little things like with, you know, 5,000 bottles of water, right? Can sort of make the event lose money. And then your your team, your sponsor, like, yeah, you know, Danny, that was fun, but we're not in the business of having a party and losing money. Exactly. So even, I mean, there are two situations today. The first one, um, some players started arriving today, so we had to uh, get the towels. So, but the deal that we got with the hotel is that we have to return the towels. Um, so usually, I mean, I take probably 10 towels to the court, leave three on court, uh, two in the locker room. I probably have two in the players' lounge. Uh, so then I saw some of the guys say, where are the towels? He's like, I told you to bring them back. He's like, come on, Danny, really? He's like, yeah, please bring the towels back. <laughs> you know? And they're like, <laughs> and then uh, I was looking around, I'm like, wow, where are the sports drinks? I was like, well, so we're, pl- we're planning to have them tomorrow on Thursday, uh, two yeah. days before the event starts. But we have a couple guys here and they asked me for sports drinks. I'm like, oh, so I ended up going <laughs> to uh, the nearest supermarket, getting in my car, putting a, a bunch of Gatorades in the trunk and, and then driving them back. So things that I obviously would have never done before. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. But I think I look at it, I look at things differently than, than I used to, uh, especially when, when it comes down to cost. Um, so it's uh, it's definitely been an eye opener, uh, but an, but a good one in a way. I think I think it's important uh, to understand both sides of the game, um, to understand how how hard people work to make events happen. Uh, I think uh, I mean I've been now part of the uh, player council for a long time, so I understand this side of this side of the of the coin quite well, but actually running one firsthand uh, it's giving me a closer look and, and I really appreciate all the events and, and the effort that they put. Yeah, man, I would tell you, so we had our laundry service. Sorry to people on, on why I listen to the podcast to bore you with laundry conversations, but this is, this is how real it gets. <laughs> so we had our laundry service, right? We, you know, they pick up by two, drop off by two. Yeah. So whatever tiles that are used after two o'clock and left at 10, 11 o'clock, you got to make sure there's enough to cover between 8 a.m. and 150 when tiles back. So our entire 250, brother, I was taking home garbage bags full of tiles, washing them, washing them <laughs> so that we wouldn't run out before the laundry guy dropped off the next day. So it's, I mean, it is, it's a even, newfound appreciation. Even now, we, I mean, we just finished setting up the whole players' lounge. The team did a great job, and then I'm looking around and I'm like, we have no plugs. Where are people going to charge their phones? Is that so? I gotta go now to the shop and buy the extensions to make sure that players have plugs to to charge their phones. So I mean, things that they're usually there. Uh, now, yeah, I'm having to obviously two days before the event, you start to micromanage and trying to make sure that everything's working. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's been an experience, especially delivering it uh, with only five weeks. Uh, that's been yeah. the big challenge. I was in Europe for the first three weeks, uh, so with the time difference, that wasn't ideal. Uh, but now, yeah, it's good to be on site, and I think everything's good to go. Players are arriving, which I think that's the nicest feeling, to be honest. That's what I've liked the most. Um, it's been a challenge to to set everything up, but having the guys arrive, you know, seeing them on court playing, I, I mean, that that's what we do, you know. So that that's what definitely makes me the happiest. 
Yeah, you know, I think that it's good to see him in a different light. It's good to sort of be on this front line and then honestly make changes because now you've been on both sides of the ball. And now you can say, hey, look, as an organizer, this needs to change. Yeah. Right. For the player. You know, if, if this model is going to be sustainable, yeah. we need to do X, Y, and Z, right? Because, you know, the 250s, even though it's a 250 and you get, you know, you get top 20s, you got top 20 wild cards, et cetera, still hard to make money doing it, right? Especially with COVID, you know, you kind of never know mm-hmm. how many people are going to come out. Are they still skittish about being there? So, you know, definitely a newfound appreciation. And, and I got a notepad full of notes and suggestions that I plan to send to the CEO just to make the business model better. How to, how to make the 250 sustainable. Uh, yes. I, I agree. I think the 250 model has been uh, not struggling, but hasn't been easy for at least half of the 250s in the ATP. Um, they're, still, they're still there grinding, uh, trying to make it happen, but but it's not easy. So if we can find a way to, to improve that model, uh, I think that's a plus. So... I agree with you. I think the more we can share after this experience and, and trying to improve the model, uh, the better. Even the, it will be even better for the players. Um, I think. I think long term we have to make it sustainable. So let me ask you this: <clears throat> After our two fifty, the week before the U.S. Open, uh, I didn't want to go to U.S. Open. I was like, I'm tired. I don't. I don't want to see another tennis ball. I don't want to see another WTA player. I just want to break. Yeah. Uh, after next week, do you think you're going to Indian Wells, or are you going to sit it out? I have to fly back home before my wife will kill me otherwise. <laughs> but uh, I'm, but if if I had the chance, I would sit it out. Uh, I, I would sit it out. I was um, I was actually in New York for four days at the beginning of the Open uh, for some ATP stuff. And I had just been in San Diego working a, the full week, trying to set everything up before going to New York. And I didn't go. I only watched one match. I I went to watch Andy playing on center against Tsitsipas. So I thought that would be a nice one to watch. But I I sat it out. I think you need it after after running these events. You, you need a bit of a break from tennis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's real cool. Yeah. So are let you, me ask are, you this: Are you gonna are you gonna go to Indian Wells? I gotta go for one day. I okay. gotta do some uh, some filming for SAP. Okay. <clears throat> but my plan is to be in and out. In and out. <laughs> this, this is our third event, you know. So I had you know two events, then then a couple weeks break, and then now five hundred and. You know, players are starting to arrive early. And like you said, they, they get here today. The sports drinks don't arrive to tomorrow. So I, I don't know how it is for you. The one thing that I found very difficult is I start freaking out about things because I know, like, when I come as a coach, the things that are important to me, which usually for a tournament director that hasn't been a coach, maybe those things don't bother him. Like, I can't sleep at night sometimes. Like, I'm thinking, like, what if someone's on the court now, you know? Like, because a public center is like, what if they spill a Gatorade on the court? You know, so at three in the morning, I wake up thinking, can you imagine if I arrive tomorrow on site and the court is ru- ruined, you know? So I arrived, I arrived in the morning, first thing I did, went to the court, checked all the lines, make sure the surface was nice, put like uh, yellow tape around the court to make sure that no one came in. So I was yeah. like, I, I came in with a, like a leaf blower to make sure like the court was perfect. Yeah. Because I know, I mean, th- that's, that's what I look at when I come as a coach, making sure the net was like tied perfectly, you know, like all those small details that, I think are time consuming and they're stressing me out more than anything. Uh, plus all the other stuff on top, but I'm like the details from the player side, I'm even more thorough uh, than probably another tournament director would be, which I guess is, is a good thing for the guys. Um, and, and that helps them as well. Um, even, even today, like we have no bananas. Like, I gotta go to the supermarket, get them. Bananas. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we did two of those last time. 
the yeah. supermarket around to go get a box of bananas. Yeah. Speaking of those details, do you remember a couple of years ago at the Open, you and your player were, were using court five after us? Okay. You remember what you did? Uh, single sticks, you maybe? Walked, yeah, single sticks. Single sticks. Yeah. You walked on the court and you were like, you didn't put the single sticks up? And I'm like, nah, bro, we don't hit flat. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, so so I thought about it because you talked about those details. You know, like as a coach, the things that, you know, the court matters. You know, nobody spilled Gatorade because Gatorade stains the court. You know, so the, the single sticks. The single sticks today for the ATP net, the one that's branded, they have special single sticks that have a rubber base. So there's one, one rubber base for each stick. So I told the maintenance guy, I said, if we lose this rubber base, we're in trouble. He's like, you have to make sure this rubber base, we, don't, we only have one of each. So I said, because the ATP sends you like, uh, we have two match cords, so we only have two nets. With two single sticks, two rubber bases per, uh, per net. So I said, make sure they're locked at night because if we lose these things, <laughs> single sticks are not going to work. Like, it's, it's, key, it's key for me. So I, I, I mean, like those details, that, that, that's another example. Like maybe keeps me busier because I'm, I'm looking at those details like maybe another tournament director wouldn't be worrying about it too much. Yeah, and you know, I remember that day, I was like, it was, you know, when you think about the coaching aspect, the, the, the details that matter to your player. Like that, that, at that time, you were coaching a player that hits through the court, super flat, yeah. right? You know, six inches over the net, right? And can hit your bonus into the net, right? So you're like, oh, let me put the single sticks out, right? You know, exactly. but for me, I was like, oh no, we we cleared in there, bro. We you know we we're fine. <laughs> we we like four or five feet. We don't need those single sticks. We're not even hitting that close to the net. But I mean, like those details, you're right. Where you know we're less worried about the bananas, or we're yeah. very worried about having a practice course nice and tight, making mm -hmm. sure we got indoor backup. You know, because if a coach, the, the pet peeve is a coach calling, trying to get a practice court, can't get a practice court, or it rains. Yeah. You know, those things matter to me. Where it's like, I hate bananas, so I don't even think about it. Yeah. So you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm also quite anal about <laughs> about practice and practice course and practice core booking. So we have someone in charge of practice course, but I'm like messaging them like every five minutes. Who's booked? Where did you put them? Send me the sheet. Like, let me look it over. <laughs> so, like, I want to make sure like the whole practice schedule is like perfect, which usually a tournament director, like you're not worrying about that stuff. Yeah. Um, but again, I mean, that's I guess that's a plus for, for the players and a plus for the event that we're, we're quite thorough. Uh, I want to make mine. We're, we're player guys. We want to make them happy and want to make sure that they get what they they get what they want. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a change, but a, a fun one. Fun. I'm, I'm having a good time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, let me ask you this. Um, one of the biggest learning curves for me was the TV deal mm -hmm. and negotiating a TV deal and the streaming rights and all of that kind of stuff. No. Um, did you have somebody that worked on that for you or did you sort of do that yourself? Um, I did it uh, with the ATP. I did it domestically and internationally the ATP deal with that. Yeah. So I, I had to deal with the domestic broadcasters. Uh, mm -hmm. And that was also new. Uh, but I mean, I had a relationship with uh, 
the people working for both uh, for both stations. So that was that was a plus as well. Uh, but it was new, new territory. Um, interesting to to find out a few things and and how it works. Also with with data, uh, quite interesting as well. Um, so yeah, um, I'm I'm happy that we have. I mean, we're sharing tennis channel. We we had some yeah. conversations the two of us about. I mean, I was uh, I was on your case trying to get your your uh, MSP your schedule of matches to try and make yeah. sure we were not clashing. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that if you had a good match and I had a good match, we were not playing at the same time. So so tennis channel could broadcast uh, both, both matches. Yeah. yeah. And we were so, trying to figure out the light situation because we obviously got 64 draws, you got 32 draw. Yeah. So we were like, okay, we got to, you know, we're going to have to play into the night, you know, so we got to yeah. bring in some temporary lights before we narrow down the MSP. You know, when mm -hmm. I was a coach, I had no idea what MSP stood for. And now it's like, yeah. I, I wake up in the middle of my, of my night with a nightmare about MSP. And I was not finalizing hours because I said, look, I have to wait in Chicago. I want to make sure that we're not clashing, especially towards the weekend for the semifinals and the finals. I don't want to be playing at the same time. I want them to have their airtime, yeah. show their final, and then we can play afterwards. I mean, the two hour uh, time difference helps. Yeah. Uh, so, but I had all the international broadcasters like, can you send me the MSP? Can you? I was like, no, <laughs> I'm waiting in Chicago. Just give me a week. You know, it's like, yeah. wait. Um, and we're yeah, trying to figure out the lights. Yeah, <laughs> we, so. we also we also had to work with the lights. They have great lighting here at the Barnes Tennis Center, so that helped. So we're actually doing two sessions a day and a night session, uh, but we had to improve them. So we had the ATP visit, uh, and they suggested that we improve them a little bit. So we had to deal with that too. Uh, but now they're they're great. Uh, we we got lucky that we had uh, permanent lights here, so that that helped us because then we can do. Uh, especially during the week, not for the weekend, but we're doing two sessions, which is good good for ticket revenue because you sell double the seats. Mm -hmm. uh, so that 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 definitely helped us. But I think you know that sort of collaboration is what this sport needs. You know, when I look at sort of ATP, WTA, tournament organizers, you know, I think that uh, sometimes they view it as competition, right? Not and it should be viewed as cooperation, right? Because we are still a small sport, particularly in America. We need to grow. The only way we do it is together, right? And so, you know, I was, it was refreshing to work with somebody like, yo, when are you going to schedule your matches? You know, let's, let's make sure we, you know, you get your tournament, get the airtime, get my tournament, not just like, well, hey, I'm scheduling mine. You know, the men's tournament is probably going to get TV priority, right? And the women, you're going to take a back seat. Uh, so it yeah. was, it was refreshing. And that attitude is but, what. But from, from my side, from my side, I was thinking, look, uh, big, big event. Big WTA event in America. Uh, you're going to have a lot of Americans playing. Uh, also, some big names coming from abroad. You're going to have some big matches in the semifinals and the finals. And especially if there's some American players playing the event in the States, they're, they're going to want to show that. So let's try and make it flexible for everyone, you know. I, I thought it would be just such a shame that we have a good match here. You have a big match in Chicago, and then they have to pick and choose. Like, wh why do that, you know? Uh, yeah. So I agree. I think collaboration is key, uh, especially for a sport like ours, uh, especially for a sport like ours in the U.S., uh, yeah. which we, ha we have to go all together, uh, try and be as strong as we can. And, um, and hopefully, I mean, that's, that's something that maybe we can, we can talk about it offline, but hopefully WTN and the ATP, they'll figure something out. And, uh, and, I, and I think we'll, we'll be a stronger product together. We'll have more leverage uh, with everyone, the sponsors, because it'll be just one product. So it's either you buy this product or there is nothing else. Right. Uh, so I, I, I think it's going to help us uh, uh, both from, from both sides. 
So I agree. I think collaboration is, is the key for us, especially in the U.S. So let me ask you this. You brought up your wife, right? And, you know, we, you and I are in the same situation. Do you get like the side eye when you get home after doing this for a couple of weeks and not sleeping and coming home late and, you know, I, I, not, I, I, not, not being present <laughs> for the kids and everything? Do you, do you get the attitude? I, I got the attitude as soon as I told her that I had to leave for three weeks. I mean, I'm she's used to it. We've been together 10 years and, um, and she met me as a coach. So I was on the road with Andy at the time. I was on the road almost 40 weeks a year. So, I mean, uh, she knew what she was getting into. But now uh, for the last years, we have uh, two-year-old twins at home. So mm-hmm. now it's a different story. <laughs> she, yeah, uh, she's not as, uh, as happy when, when I leave. Obviously, she needs a bit of help at home, but she understands. Um, she's extremely supportive, so I'm very lucky to have her. But definitely the first few days when I'm back there, not the easiest ones. Yeah. She's like, she's waiting at the door with you with both kids. Like, here, your turn. There you go. They're they're yours now. Right. Well, let me ask you, though, because, you know, you and I have similar positions. Like, I started coaching before I had kids, and you could basically travel unlimited. And now you got kids, it's sort of a different consideration. Um, Do you limit your weeks on the road when you're coaching? Or is it still, you know what, I got to be gone. 40 weeks a year that's just that just is what it is or do you pick and choose because I found it where you know the past couple of years I started to say yeah I'm gonna skip this tournament I'm gonna skip that tournament not available this week that kind of thing what do you think yeah so so before kids I was very flexible I mean I started coaching I was privileged to start very young uh so I was super flexible let's say the first 10 years but then when the kids were born it all changed um not easy to leave uh not easy to be on the road five six weeks non-stop so I definitely started to pick and choose what I did. Um, so when the kids were born, I was sharing the, the coaching job with Magnus. So we were doing 50-50 with Stan. So that worked out really well. Uh, and then the pandemic hit. So actually that, that worked out pretty well in a way, you know, but at least so I could spend time with the kids. Yeah. Uh, so that was nice. Obviously not, have, not having uh, work was not ideal for, for, for all of us. That didn't help tennis or sports or anybody in general, but at least I got... I got to spend time, time at home with the, with the children. So I haven't traveled much, actually, since they were born. Uh, but moving forward, um, I will definitely limit the, the, the weeks on the road. I, I won't be doing 35, 40 weeks anymore. That's, uh, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> well, I'm with you. Well, man, I know, man, you and I both, you know, these are crazy weeks for us. I want to thank you for taking the time out to chat, you know, commiserate, share experiences. Uh, it's, it's new territory for both, but man, I wish you, I wish you luck. I'm gonna definitely see you soon back on the road with the player. I'm gonna walk off the court with no single sticks and you're gonna put them up, you know, <laughs> but man, I want to just, thanks for coming on the show. This is the tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray, and we have just had some good insight from, from the other side of the ball, the promoter side of the ball, from Danny Valverde, who's running ATP 250 next week. Uh, uh, opposite, you know, our uh, WTA 500. So uh, thank you all for joining us. Danny, thanks so much, man. It's, if, if you need to call me late at night and just yell at the phone, I, I'll pick up and listen. <laughs> I, I, you'll get a couple of those calls this week. But thank you, Kamau. Uh, all the best in Chicago. And I'll be watching uh, on Tennis Channel. <laughs> <laughs>